My name is Dr. Brendan McCarthy. I am the Chief Medical Officer of Protea Medical Center in Chandler, Arizona. Thank you so much for tuning into my podcast. Uh, as I start every one of my podcasts the same, I'm just going to repeat it again. Uh, I research for these. I prepare for them. It's really important to me to get data to you that you can rely on. The things, especially today, I always say especially, and I start every podcast saying the same thing, especially today. I think especially is going to lose its specialness if I keep saying especially that way. Um, I just, you know, the first months of doing this, I there's so much I've been preparing over the years to do this podcast. I've been preparing for this podcast for years. And when I sit in the room with my patients, I, I don't take their trust for granted. I never do. Never will. Never will. And... Um, how I earn the trust of my patient. And once I have that trust, I still don't just rely on just, oh, just have it, it's good. I believe in continually earning it every single time. And the way that I do that is I share with them, this is why I think the way I think about what you're dealing with here. The docere part of being a physician, which is the Latin word for doctor, docere, it's to teach. My primary role in that room is to educate the patient what I found what I think, what is there in front of us, so they can make an educated decision. It's my job to let them know this is what I think it is, this is what it might be, this is what it might not be. It's important that I give them as many opinions on there for them to consider. But at the end of the day, the patient makes the decision, and I've got to make sure they have the education to make the best decision. If I go into that room and I just give them my opinion as if it was fact... That's not good. That's not true medicine. Me sitting down with you and saying, this is the research. These are your labs. This is the standard of care established. This is what I think will happen if we treat it this way. This is what I think will happen if we don't treat it. These are important things. You, you, you are so... Your, your, your take, your opinion is essential in proper medical care. Your buy-in is essential and the buy-in has to be earned. So that's why I post all of my citations in the description section. Now I want to apologize too here because some of these videos we did, I did have all the, the, uh, the citations, but I didn't realize, I thought we uploaded all of them. So if you see a video that doesn't have the citations, I promise you I'm on it. I'm, I just need to go grab them and upload them. I'm on that. With that said, today is another wonderful video, and I was going to say it's important and special, but it's, <laughs> I say it all the time, so that's going to lose the specialness. So I'm going to try changing my verbiage there. I want to talk more about depression, and you know, I when I got ready for this, I thought a lot about different patients that I've seen over the years who have depression, and you know there was such a stigma to it for so long. And I remember when Sopranos came out and Tony Soprano rolled out and was the first person you ever saw taking an antidepressant as the hero of a, a show. It was kind of a, or anti-hero, I don't know how you want to describe him. Lithium. Lithium. Prozac. When's it gonna end? What you're going through is very painful, I know that. I don't feel nothing that helped relieve a lot of the stigma associated with depression and the treatment of depression, which is good. 
is important. The thing is, is that there are so many people parked on antidepressants right now. When I say parked, I mean they're parked on it. Meaning they're put on it, and that's it. And it's almost like they're treated like this is just who you are. Like if you were to present to clinic and we diagnose you with type 1 diabetes, you're parked on insulin. Sure, that's going to have to happen. Depression's different. You know, the, the cause of the disease is important. It just is and so today, um, I wanted to circle back to it again. I know we've done other podcasts on this in the past. We've talked about hormones. We've talked about uh, genetic things. There's another one we talked about, you know, different ways your body makes serotonin. Today, I'm going to talk about another aspect of your biology that will affect your mood and create depression. So um, it's specifically, I'm going to talk about something called catecholamines and depression. And you know catecholamines as adrenaline or epinephrine and norepinephrine, especially norepinephrine, okay? Um, with depression, there's a lot of misconceptions. As I mentioned a moment ago, there's a lot of thought like, you just, that's just who you are. You just have the depression, you know what I mean? Just like you have the... The, the, the type 1 diabetes, it's just that's, that's not authentic and that's not scientific and that's not valid. I want you to know that. Just someone saying that you have the depression, that's a symptom you're having. That's a state that you are in. That is not the cause. That is not your true diagnosis. That's the experience that you're having. It's like saying you have a stomach ache. That's what gastritis is, by the way. <laughs> you have an irritated stomach. Yeah, I know. I know I have an irritated stomach. I know I have gastritis. Why do I have gastritis? You know what I mean? I know, and when you know you have depression, you know you have depression. The question is, is like, why is this occurring? How, how can we figure this out? I want you to know that you as the individual patient out there, there's not a lot of information in your sphere regarding what the cause of depression is. A lot of times, it's even though, again, there's been so many wonderful advances in our culture when it comes to the way we approach depression, it still has a sense of self-failing, like I've failed somehow. Like I just can't get through it. I can't buck up. Um, I feel that when you don't know the facts around the cause of a disorder, we then end up taking it personally. Like wait. People, and there's so many, I love all of you for writing to me and messaging me regarding your weight and what's happened in your lives. And so many of you, um, I'm so thankful for that. It's just, you know, many of you, you're overweight, right? The ones of you have been messaging me these things. You have patients who are overweight and their blood sugar is low to normal. And it's like, why are they overweight? It's not because they're overeating. No one's trying to explain to the patient why they're overweight they see themselves as failing as a person. Depression is the same thing. You get parked on an antidepressant and there's no explanation as to why. Now I want you to know that in your sphere, there's very few understandable things or, or accessible data points for you to grab onto saying, this is why I have depression. And part of my podcast is to explain a lot of these things to you in an understandable, meaningful way. You deserve that. I believe that's very empowering to you. So 
when it comes to depression, I want you to know, we know for a fact there are many things that cause it that we can treat clinically. And it's not some abstract treatment. It's not some weird thing. It's just straight up medicine. You know, I'm not, I'm not, by the way, none of what I'm saying here is alternative. None of what I'm saying here is weird. Nothing's out there on a limb. And if we do do out there on a limb weird stuff, I will be the first to tell you, it's a little weird out on a limb. This is not. This is not. This is all science. Okay? So you don't need me to say to you that depression is not really being treated well. You know what I mean? You don't need me to tell you that. You know that. We know that depression is not the best. It's not treated to the best degree that it could be. I want to say, you know, what, what would be good treatment? Let's, let's get a definition of what good treatment is. I'm going to let you know what good treatment is in my opinion as a doctor. Because there's other opinions out there, and I know that, and, and I'm not invalidating other opinions out there. I'm going to say this is mine. I believe that in an environment where we all share our opinions on this stuff, the best ones win. The best ideas should win. So this is what mine is. You know, um, you get a patient presenting with depression. Our goals are immediately to stabilize that patient. First and foremost. So we may prescribe an SSRI right off the bat, or I may use another medication to stabilize them if necessary. There's other ways to stabilize them other than medication. I know that, and I will use those tools if necessary when the time comes. But first first goal, stabilize that patient walking in your door first. Um, understand the history. How did this happen? When did it happen? Where did it occur first? You want to understand if there's you know uh, um, associations with your symptoms. You want to know if it happens certain times of the month. You want to have if it happens certain times of the day. You want to know if it's associated with a life experience. If it was certain times of the year, there's different ways, and you want to look for all these associations. That's your job as a physician is to gather as much data as possible. Um, then we gather objective data, which in depression is so not done enough. So the difference is subjective data is what you personally are experiencing and your memory associated with what you've had occurring to you. So like, I remember it started like three years ago and it started with this one thing or it just slowly crept up and this is how it happened. That's subjective because that's your experience and you're sharing that with me. Objective is me doing physical measurements. Like if I'm going to do a physical exam, that's objective data. If I'm going to do blood pressure, weight, and all those sorts of things, objective data points, urinalysis, whatever, blood draw, all those things, imaging, all that's objective. I'm going to say to you now that I think that's the most important part of my job that doesn't get really done enough out there in the industry is, is, is gathering of objective data. A lot of times people make decisions just on subjective. Sometimes that's okay. Short term, that needs to be done. But we cannot ignore the data that we can get from objective investigations. And that would be a lot of lab work in this case. Um, we want to create what's called the working assessment so the patient comes in, I listen to them, I hear what they're saying, I hear their history, I get out the associations, I figure out what I think is happening here. Then I'm gonna run some lab work, I'm gonna do objective data to kind of start figuring out what's happening here, okay? Then I'm gonna synthesize what they've told me they're experiencing with what I'm seeing in the lab work or whatever I've done for objective data gathering, imaging, or whatever we're doing that. I synthesize that to assess what I think is the cause of their symptoms. Why is it they have depression? Once I have that working assessment, I sit down saying, this is what I think, this is why I think that way. Once the patients heard me give them my assessment, I propose a plan on how to treat. 
I proposed to him, I believe that by treating it this way, I will get these results. Once they have the information, they make this decision if we move forward with it. And then we move forward. Once they have that buy-in and they agree, we try it. I want you to know at no point that I just said that, all those things, at no point, no, let me, let me word this well because this is very important. I'm always aware of the fact that I can be wrong. Always. I have to be. Any doctor that is so arrogant to believe that they're always right is, you know, it's like you're asking for trouble. You, I always have to think to myself, what if I'm wrong? What other things could be at play here? What else do I need to be thinking about? If this doesn't work, what else do I have to have in the background? What other things do I need to be ready for? Where is my head with this patient? Always. Okay. So then after that, um, we put together that treatment and then we try treatment out. They're like, all right, let's try it. Let's try it. You know, um, I give them say a month. We try this protocol for a month. They come back in. We run another set of objective data point gathering from the lab work, say, specific to what we did to verify that was a, there was an objectifiable data point change. Like say someone has a, you know, um, whatever we're, we're treating, like vitamin D deficiency. They came in low vitamin D, gave them vitamin D. We give them another blood draw a month later to make sure the dose I gave them was right and it worked and boom, it's right. So objective data helps us understand whether I saw a physiological change in their objective data point. I also want to sit down and listen to them and see how they're feeling. If everything is right, we have solved the objective data change. We've solved the subjective data change. They are better. Everything's improved. We're moving in the right direction. At that point, then we create a long-term plan. How do we maintain this? What do I need to do? If it didn't work very well at that point, which happens, we then say, did it work a little bit or a lot? What kind of changes do I need to make? Do I need to completely go back to scratch? But you're seeing, do you see what I'm saying with this? You see this pattern I'm trying to detail with you? This is how you treat depression. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. The goal is to focus on maintaining stability in your patient and working to figure out the cure. Cure is such a scary word in medicine. People don't like to use that word. Figure out how to treat the cause. <laughs> Let's do that. Stabilize the patient. Get them healthy. Get them at a balanced point. And then work to figure out the underlying cause and to resolve it. Okay? That's our goal. Is that what's being done? <laughs> no. No. I want it to be. And I know a lot of other doctors do want it to be too. I read your comments and I, and, I, and I want you to know a lot of your experiences in the medical industry are valid. They're valid. I can tell you though that there are good doctors out there. I know, I know. It's just a matter of finding them and getting them into your life. So I'm going off a tangent. Let me get back to this. Uh, the American Psychiatric Association guidelines recommend patients be seen weekly, weekly for the first 90 days of instituting an SSRI or a medication for depression. So when you go to your doctors and they get to figure out what's going on with you and they want to prescribe you a medication or they diagnose your depression, they will prescribe to you. They're supposed to see you once a week for the next 12 weeks. Does that happen? No. Studies show that they're getting two to two and a half visits in those 90 days. That's all that's happening. There's no real in-depth investigation, evaluation of effectiveness. There's no true 
getting down there and figuring out what's happening to the patient. A lot of times they just put on the medicine, check to make sure it's fine, and then they're parked on it, and then they'll be on it for years, for years. And during those years, was there any investigation going into the possible cause? That's the, that's the big thing. That's my point. When it comes to depression, I'm not going to try in this podcast, you know, I, I, I was like, we do these like 20 minutes, some of them 30 minutes. I'm not going to try and talk about all the different causes of depression, okay? Please know, this podcast right now, this episode, I'm just going to focus on just one more specific. We've done ones, like I said, on, on causes associated with hormones. You know, that estrogen progesterone imbalance totally causes that. Or you can have it with people with MTHFR deficits, which is a genetic disorder that we've spoke about in another one. Um, today, I'm going to be more talk about what the elephant in the room, in my opinion, is that no one's really, really talked about. Um, stress is one of the most biggest causes of depression that no one really talks about. But in the science, it's completely um, omnipresent. There's a reason why I'm saying it like this. Stress, I know, I know you look through my feed. <laughs> you look through my, look at my Instagram page and all my videos, all the reels we have are like, there's a lot of stress reels in there, right? And you're like, maybe I'm just trying to talk to myself. That's true, because some people like, they treat themselves through their patients. I'm not, I'm not, listen, I don't take work home. I, and, and, I, and I work 40 hours a week, okay? I don't work at home. I, I work 40 hours a week. When I'm home, I'm home with my family. And, and um, I have hard rules when it comes to that. I, I do have stress because I'm a person, I'm a human being, you know? But I'm not just saying everything is caused by stress because I personally have something against stress. It's like those people are against gluten because they have a personal thing about gluten. It's not what I'm talking about stress in a negative way. I'm bringing up stress a lot in my podcast because it is such an incredibly important component in your health that's not been managed, not been regulated. I'm bringing it up because it can be managed. It can be regulated. It can be treated. Okay? It can be. And I'm going to give us some reasons today. And as we keep doing these podcasts, I'm going to do more and more and more. I want you to know that. Right now with these podcasts, we're still in the early years of doing this. Early years, I said. Truth. <laughs> My producer, I'm like, I'm doing these years together. We're building a platform of information, data points. And, and as we build that platform, we're just going to get deeper and deeper, richer, richer. But you have to create a good platform first. That's what we're doing. Okay? So, um, chronic, chronic upregulation uh, of, of alertness of any cause is going to lead to uh, the nervous system releasing a lot of catecholamines. Chronic upregulation in the nervous system, being alert constantly, is going to cause you to release more catecholamines. That is going to be epinephrine and norepinephrine. Okay? You see a stress in front of you. Boom, you're, you're alert. A lot of that, you're releasing adrenaline right away. You're driving down the road, someone stops short in front of you, you have to slam on your brakes just not to hit them. You know, that's adrenaline going on there. You're like, nah, that's epinephrine, norepinephrine, lots of it, okay? That you need to have it sometimes. That's important. You know, we're meant to handle stress in a cyclical fashion. It's healthy to handle stress in a cyclical fashion. What I mean with that is that you need to have stress, then you need to have a recovery, you have the thing that stresses you out, then you recover. If you're on time, then you're downtime. Think about this as an athlete. If you're an athlete who's training and you're stressing your body, you're stressing your physique, you stress your physique 
and then you recover. You have downtime so your body can consolidate the changes you made when you exercised, recover so your body can regenerate itself, and you're actually stronger on the other end of it. That's the cycle of stress and recovery. It makes you stronger. It could do good for you. The problem is when there's no recovery and you're constantly stressing yourself out, you're going to have health consequences that are significant. Think about someone who works out every day, all day, all the time. They're not going to last long. Their bodies will be a ton of injuries. That's a fact. Sometimes we sometimes or always, let's just say always, most of us always ignore stress. You know, we're, we're trained a lot of ways to adapt to it and accept it and just survive, okay? Working long hours, single parenting. Single parenting when you're married, that's a stressor. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. I know, that's a stressor. Having a hostile workplace, having an unhealthy marriage, uh, you know, complex PTSD, all of these things conspire to create significant stresses in our lives. The constant stimulation of the nervous system over time, constantly being upgraded, constantly being, mm -mm, constantly being hammered without recovery. Like say you work in a place and your boss is just mean and yelling at you all the time. You're always on edge. That, what that on edge is? Adrenaline, because you're always afraid the shoe's gonna drop, something's gonna happen. Having kids as a single parent, you're constantly the only one taking care of everything. And there's no downtime. There's no moments. You have to, every day is just stacked out with activity and there's no stopping. Complex PTSD, it's like your brain is constantly in a state of, uh, in complex PTSD, you just your brain is always upregulated to this stressful state. When you have that, and you're constantly pushing your adrenaline, it will become depleted. That is a medical fact. You will deplete epinephrine, norepinephrine, and move yourself towards exhaustion. That is a scientific thing. That's not some weird, like, you know, like, you know, elite thing, like, oh, I'm exhausted, I'm so stressed. It is a true thing that happens to humans. That is what causes a lower level of epinephrine, norepinephrine. The chronic depletion of adrenaline, specifically norepinephrine, is directly linked to depression. The depletion of norepinephrine is directly linked to depression. Just internalize that for a minute. Norepinephrine gets depleted from chronic stress. If you have chronic stress all the time, you deplete your norepinephrine along with epinephrine, and that leads to depression. Is that a moment I need to write you an SSRI? Or is that a moment that I need to figure out your life cycle and how to get you into more recovery state so your body can recover and you can make more norepinephrine yourself. And when I said SSRI, I should have been more clear. A serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor because that's the other class of medications. So this is a lot of material. And you know, when I wrote it out, I wrote it out and it was like, I could do this in 20 minutes, 25 minutes, yeah. It's not gonna be 25 minutes, I'm sorry, or even 30, it's probably more like you know 40 minutes long. Um, so I'm going to break it up into two today. And we're going to stop here. Please know there's more. Thank you for tuning in. This means so much to me. When you tune in, when you like, you subscribe, and you share, that helps me understand that this is something that matters to you. When you make comments in here, that matters to me because that helps me drive where I'm going to put new material, what, what's going to guide me to make new material for this. Um, 
I do read it and I do my best to respond to it. So thank you. And I will see you next time.